Good morning to you. I think we can do better than that. Good morning to you. Oh, it makes you feel so good. We have our brothers from Revive House here today. We want to thank you for being a part of our church family. And there's probably more people watching online today than attending. And so we're glad to have you guys. And uh, I just want to share something. In the New Testament, sometimes if God had a special message, he would give somebody in the group an unknown tongue. And then there would be somebody to interpret that. And that was normal in Paul's day. It's a good thing. And uh, sometimes in Paul's day and even today around the world, there can be a, a person who actually speaks that language and the Lord actually ministered to them through that. So we thank the Lord. So let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is true and that we want to grow and be better people and we want to serve you well and we want to share our story in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. amen. Turn to John chapter 9 and we're talking about sharing your story. Please repeat that with me. Sharing your story. It is almost the end of the year. Have you noticed? Uh, and uh, at the end of the year, we've done this for many, many years. Sometimes people will say, hey, I'm getting an extra bonus or I've been in sales and this is coming my way. Is there some way we can bless other people at the end of the year? And often we do this to help missions. And so it's always a huge blessing. We partner with this organization, One Mission uh, Society, and for many, many years, and through some of your people here, they are working in 32 African countries. How many? 32. And look at this map. Africa is a big place with a lot of folks and millions of people becoming Christians every year. There's probably more black Christians in the world than there are white Christians. Bless God for what he's doing and his kindness. So let me just show you. This is crazy. Are you ready for crazy? In three years, this little ministry has started almost a 1,000 churches in three years. <clears throat> Amen. Praise God is right. <clears throat> and every time a church gets started or planted, very small, it means another place where people can be loved and get the gospel. So that's... And these are just people that they, they can keep track of. 461,400 people. That's amazing, isn't it? <clears throat> these brand new churches in three years. So just last year, because we don't have reports from this year, but last year, that means 138,000 people that they have track of made decisions for Christ. Baptisms over 92,000. So here's a big need, and here's where we can come in and help. A lot of us spend money on all kind of stuff, but the big need is transportation. A lot of these countries, big places, a lot of space, not many roads, and the going transportation are these uh, motorbikes. They cost about 1700 bucks over there. And let me show you how this works. So some of us on the board and staff, we set a goal. Could we raise enough money to buy 20 motorbikes, not for pastors, not just for church planters, but for regional coordinators? What's a regional coordinator? Well, one regional coordinator may be over 150 pastors. And he may be responsible for 10 different training centers and it's scattered, and you either got to take a bus or get on some kind of freight truck or walk the whole place. And so we were thinking if we raise money in the next five or six weeks to help 20 of these leaders get where they need to go, that that would honor the Lord. Someone say amen. I think we can do it. If you want to help with that, Sue and I will help. But if you want to help, some of you in the room can probably just sponsor one of them yourself, you and your family. Just write it to Church of the Savior and put motorbikes in the margin. 
Or if you want to give cash, you just put motorbikes on the envelope. Here's an, one other opportunity. Are you ready? The Joshua Fund is a ministry I just got to know last year. And we're wanting to help a lot of the suffering people in Israel right now. And uh, this is our friend. Do you know who this is? Joel Rosenberg spoke here two and a half years ago. He's uh, an amazing, amazing man. I got to hang out with him last May in Jordan. And he's an American Christian who's also an Israeli citizen. He's over there right now. He has boots on the ground. He knows who to work with. I don't know who to work with. Anything I gave would be wasted because I don't know who to work with. But he knows churches and ministries that are helping, are you ready? Israelis, Palestinians, and Christians who are maybe usually Arab Christians. And so they know where the need is. Well, what kind of need? Well, when you had to run for your life and 100,000 people just ran for the hills, you don't have diapers, you don't have water, you don't have school supplies, you don't have batteries, you don't even have food, and whether they're Palestinian or Israelis. And so in the name of Christ, he's empowering these folks. I think already they've helped 500,000. So we're thinking maybe we could kick in 25 grand. You know, if we all give a little bit and give and above, and so I think it'll be good. So if you want to give to that, you can put a cash in an envelope or a check and just put Joshua on it, okay? That's all you got to do. Now, let's read the passage together. Everybody got your Bibles? Hold them up. Got a Bible somewhere, Bible somewhere. Okay, we have some in the lobby. If you'd like one, we'd love for you to have one. <clears throat> so chapter 9, verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. How long had he been blind? Since birth. His disciples said, well, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus said, it was neither of them that this man sinned or his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. When you're going through a tough time, look where God is working. Verse 4, you ought to underline. I think about verse 4 every day. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Why? Because the time is coming where there's no more time to work. How much can we do in the short time we're alive? Verse 5, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground. He made clay of the spittle, applied the clay to this man's eyes and said to him, you go wash in what pool? Where was he to go? The pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed. And when he came back, he could see. Therefore, the neighbors and those previously who saw him as a beggar. By the way, if you're blind in this time, all you can do is beg to live. They said, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others would say, well, yeah, it's his. Others would say, no, it can't be. And he kept saying, hey, I'm the guy. <laughs> so they were saying to him, well, how? Everyone say, how? How were your eyes open? And he said, well, this man named Jesus, he made clay. He anointed my eyes and he said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed. And I received my sight. And they said to, him, said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. I was blind. I couldn't see him. I don't know who it was. So they brought him to the Pharisees, verse 13, the man who was formerly blind. It was on a Sabbath. And Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. And the Pharisees, uh-uh-uh. Are you sure you received your sight? Yeah, I washed, and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this guy couldn't be from God because he broke the Sabbath. Others were saying, well, how can a man help that is a sinner perform such a miracle? 
And then the last phrase is there was division. Everyone say division among them. So today we're talking about your story and my story. Everyone has a story if you know Jesus. You have a faith story. What's another word for faith story? I'm sorry, what's another word? Remember the answer is always on the screen, third grade level, just look right up here. Okay, testimony. How many have a testimony? Hold your hand up. You got a testimony? Okay. So your testimony is your account of how you came to know Christ. Now the guy in the picture, I was not a believer. I was 18. I was messed up. I heard the gospel out in front of a bar. I was on a baseball team. I missed a ride. And they were shutting off the lights after practice. And this voice said out of the darkness, hey, kid, you need a ride? And I went, well, I don't want to walk three miles, so sure. And it was my friend Jerry who became my mentor. He was 26. He taught English at a rival high school. And he was a baseball coach. I sat in his beige Volkswagen with him two hours and he let me ask him every question. It was a safe place. And guess what else he shared with me? His story of how he came to meet Jesus. Now, he was a scholarship athlete at the University of South Carolina. He got hurt, lost his scholarship, went to Clemson. Great school, better school. And he started Crew or Campus Crusade there. So God set me up to help me because Jerry shared his story. And your story is one of the most powerful things you have. And you need to use it. Because God wants to use your testimony, your story to draw people to him just like Jerry's story drew me to him. There's a couple things about your testimony. It is both subjective. Everyone say subjective. What do you mean subjective? Well, it's your experience. It's not someone else's story. It's your story. And I try to tell people here that no one can argue with you over your story. They may debate your theology or they may debate your beliefs, but they cannot debate what happened to you. So don't you cower. Can't debate. It's your story. And your story is wonderful and beautiful and life-changing. Your story is also objective. Say objective. Well, how can it be objective? Because it talks about events. It talks about a Wednesday night. It talks about being invited to church. It talks about being outside of a bar. I can't take you to the bar and show you where I was standing. It was very objective. Now, my, one of my heroes is John Wesley, who I think is probably the greatest Christian outside of the Old Testament because of the impact this little Englishman's life had. Here he was a clergyman, had been a failed missionary, fluent in Greek and Hebrew, and he was still a lost man. And so when he tells his story, he says this, it was May 24th, 1738. What year was it? 1738. I was invited to a Bible study and I went against my will. It was on Aldersgate. It was building number 238. I went against my will. I sat on the back row. It was a quarter till nine, and a guy stood up. He didn't even get started on the book of Romans. He started reading the preface or the beginning talk about the story of Romans. And he said, God showed up and changed my life. Now, I've never been to 238 Aldersgate Street in London, the building is gone, but here's what's, it's a hospital now. There's a plaque, quite objectively says, on this date, in this place, this man's got, life got changed, and two continents got changed with it on this date. 
Now, the, are you with me so far? Okay, now the events unfolded are like this. This man was blind from birth. So he had never seen his mama's face. He'd never seen a butterfly. He'd never seen his own fingertips. He'd never seen anything. He was blind from birth. And it's kind of like you and me. We were, before we received Jesus, we were all spiritually blind. Two and two was five. The big things didn't make sense to us. Did anybody in the room remember when you were blind? I remember. I remember. I haven't forgot those days. Forgot. Why was I blind? Because the God of this world, God is little g, which is the imposter, Satan, the God of this world. Why are there hurricanes? This guy. Why is there cancer and sickness? This guy. So don't blame God. God is a good God, and he has blinded the, the minds of some, or what does the word say? All unbelievers. I was completely blind. Now, where do you get that, Steve? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. Read it with me, please. And even if our gospel is, it is veiled to those who are? Perishing for the God of this age has blinded the minds of who? Unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They can't see. They can't see. For instance, I, you, we could not see our sin. I knew I wasn't right. I knew I felt guilty, but I couldn't see it. Why couldn't I see it? Anybody know why? Because we were blind. Our whole family, my whole family was blind. I didn't know it. The generation above that, the generation above that, we were all blind. And we couldn't understand the consequences of our sin, how our sin brought separation from God and everything good. You know why we couldn't understand the consequences? I mean, I see people do stuff, dumb stuff, over and over and over and over, and they can't see it. I talk to them, they still can't see it. Why? Because... Why? We were blind. And then we couldn't even see the need of a Savior. I knew I needed help, but I couldn't connect that with Jesus. And you know why we couldn't see it? Could you guess? Anybody guess? Because we were blind. We just didn't have bad vision. We were blind. We just didn't need bifocals. We were blind. Well, Steve, if we were blind, how did we ever see? Good question. One, it's because Jesus is the light of the world. We, just, we saw that, right? Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But pretty soon, I'll be leaving the world, and so then you will be the light of the world because you represent me and you have me on the inside. In my case, people witnessed to me outside of the bar. Jerry talked to me. Then an 85-year-old woman spoke at my church, and I, was, I voted in. The veil started getting lifted until I could see. You have to be patient with people. You can't rip the veil off for them. Now, I'm going to give you some verses that are pretty hard verses. Hard. But you need to see them. Say it with me, please. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. So every day, the Holy Spirit is drawing people. A lot of people are resisting. A lot of people aren't listening. A lot of people aren't seeing. But what I do, I look for people who are starting to respond. Well, how do I know that they're responding? They say things like, boy, I know I'm not right. Or I am so miserable. Or there's got to be more to life in this. I go, bingo. God's spirit is pulling the dark blanket off. Are you, are you with me? So you have to pay attention to people and you have to ask questions. And you have to spend time with people. So if you don't 
ever spend time with people, you will never know. Plus, here's another thing. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any laser or two-edged sword. It pierces down to the smallest division of spirit and soul. That's really precise. So when I'm sharing my story, I try to use a little scripture because they may forget what I say, but the scripture will go, oh, oh. So this man's testimony is very, very simple, would you say? Would you, would you say it out loud with me? And I want your, your testimony to be simple. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it a travel log. Make it very, very simple where a six-year-old would get it and a fella just coming out of a coma would get it, a homeless guy would get it, a PhD would get it. Everybody gets it because it's very simple. Here's how he started. Say it with me. He said, I met Jesus. Say it. That's how it started. I just met Jesus. And then he spat on the ground. Everyone said he spat on the ground. I normally don't do that when I'm witnessing to people. Jesus got away with it. I've never done that. And then he touched my eyes. See, he touched, he touched my eyes, and he told me to go to the pool and wash, not just any pool. This pool, what is this pool? The pool of Siloam. And then he said, I came back and say it, and now I? Is that simple? That's very simple. Now, today, uh, we probably would make seminars out of that and have podcasts and sell DVDs on it, and we'd have categories where people could buy, buy this DVD if you liked it, and that would be the spitters, you know. You haven't been blessed by the Lord until you got spit on or something like that. And then another category would be the mutters. You, you haven't been healed until you got the mud. And then another category, and... and you're the pool people, you know. The, how many would probably prefer to be the pool people, you know? I'll buy that one. I'll prefer. But isn't it crazy? Everybody's is different. People say, have you had your burning bush? I go, I think there's only one in the Bible. <laughs> had a burning Chevy one time, but never a burning, burning bush. Now, let me tell you about the pool. Are you ready? So because of God's wayward, the waywardness of God's people, Israel, God sent the Assyrians to discipline them, and they conquered Israel, 10 tribes in the north, and essentially scattered them all over, and they disappeared. So then the Assyrians started saying, we're coming south. We're going to attack Judah and Jerusalem. Well, the king heard about it. He knew because he could see the smoke coming from Samaria. This was about 715 before Christ. And so the godly king Hezekiah did this. Smart. He said, why should 500,000 Assyrians camp out outside of our place and get all the water they would like? So they stopped up all the springs, all the wells. Doesn't that make sense? This is the Middle East. I mean, you got horses and men, no water. And so you see the main water for Jerusalem it's a place called Gihon. Do you see it on the right, right bottom, Gihon Springs? They stopped that up, and then they got their engineers. So we'll cover up the water with rocks and debris so they'll never know it's there. And we will dig a tunnel through solid rock over about six football fields long. It's winding, turning up and down and he had a group of engineers on start on one end and a group of engineers start on the other end don't just think we're smart today they were smart then too and without our tools when they got to the place they were like six inches off that's amazing so the city could have all the water they wanted do you see where it ends up on the bottom left where does it end up the Pool of Siloam, and you can actually today see parts of that tunnel. We've had people in our church that have walked all six football fields through that wet tunnel thinking it was fun. I went 
you guys go have a good time. I'll see you at the restaurant. Dark, wet tunnels. Uh, No, 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 no. But it proves the Bible is true. This is what the pool of Siloam looked like. I want to show you something crazy, wonderful. In Jerusalem, construction projects like every big city, they were digging a sewer line. And they found steps and debris and coins. And guess what they found in 2004? The pool of Siloam. It had been covered since the Roman Wars 1900 years ago. The archaeology always proves the Bible to be accurate. Archaeology has never disproved the scriptures. So you can trust this book. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of balance. Your testimony doesn't have to be perfect if you've had years and years of bad decisions. How many have had lots of bad decisions? Hold your hand up. If you had a lot of them, get both hands up. Maybe a foot up. Yeah, I wrote, I, I wrote the, the movie on bad decisions. I get it. I have too. You don't have to have a lot of wrecked lives behind you, a lot of unnecessary stuff, and a life living and glorifying the devil for 40 years. I mean, if that's you, share it. But you don't have to have that to have a good testimony. What's the best testimony? I want to tell you. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, here's the greatest testimony. I was a, this was not my testimony. I was on the other end. Uh, I was a little boy, and my parents raised me to love God. And I was in church all the time. And my parents taught me to love the Bible. They taught me to pray. And I fell in love with Jesus at six and I've loved him all my life. That is the greatest testimony. Someone say amen. amen. Now, why do you say it's the greatest testimony? Well, wouldn't you want that for your kids and your grandkids? I don't want them to have to spend 40 years of heartache. I don't want that for them. I mean, if it happens, I want them to come back. <clears throat> but it doesn't have to happen. That's why we love children's ministry here. We want to see people, and we want you to teach your children well. And that's the same thing God wants for his kids, right? Because a lot of the folk don't come back. They don't come back. They don't make it back. Now, your testimony can do a couple things. It can open hearts, like Jerry's testimony, open my heart, and it can help people take a step forward. Is that good or bad? Is that good? Okay, can do the other part too. What's the other part? Uh, well, I'll get to that. I used to think people made decisions for Christ one time shot because that's kind of what I saw, but I realized that's not true. People start at minus 30, then they go to minus 18, then they go to minus 6, then they go to zero the day they receive Christ, and then they decide at plus 5. They keep following and plus 10 and they keep walking with them. So people walk with God in steps and you can't rush the steps. So if I, if I love a neighbor, even if I never tell them about Jesus, I'm helping them take steps. If I pray for five people in my neighbor neighborhood every day, I'm helping them take steps. I just don't want to mess it up so somebody else can't reap it Two years from now. Here's another thing it does. Your testimony will put some people in a dilemma. Why dilemma? Well, because of what you share can give them inner conflict or turmoil or confusion. And can that be good? Yes or no? Can that be good? If they're on a path for hell and you cause them to stop and think, is that good? Yes. It's very good. 
So what happens, sometimes your testimony or your love for them will cause them to reevaluate. Maybe I need to rethink this. What is the meaning of life? Is there a God who cares about me? And that's good. Because there's people all around us that have spent their entire life distant from God. They've turned their back to him. They've told him to leave and not do not help them, even though he's still there. A lot of people, but Jesus is still reaching for them. And he's using you to be a part of that. Sometimes if I make people a little uncomfortable, I don't want to make them uncomfortable because I'm rude or thoughtless, but because I love them in Jesus' name, if that makes them uncomfortable, it's okay. If you notice in the passage, when you read it maybe this afternoon, there's like five different times they ask a question. Well, how did you get healed? And how did you, how did this happen? What did this man do? Because it messes people up and it's, they have to decide what to do. And so over the years, I've had people say these things or think these things. And if I'm real honest, these next couple things I'm going to say, they're what I said. Well, like what? I told a person witnessing to me, hey, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you're no longer addicted. I'm thrilled you found peace. But I'm not sure I can do it. And I, I, told, I told this person, I'm too selfish. I'm too far gone. I'm too wicked. And I even said, I would like to be a Christian but I can't, I can't live that way for more than a week and then I'm back to my old ways. So I, I don't think I can do it. And this person wisely said this, well, you probably can't do it, but God can do it. Why don't you let him do it? You've already proven you can't fix your life. So that's, that's nothing new. Here's another one. I asked Jerry this. Okay, I'm weighing this out. If I give my life to Christ, what do I have to give up? Because he had a list of 10 things I really liked I was going to have to get rid of. And I had 10 things I hated that I thought God's going to make me do. Like I'll have to go to church. I'll have to clean up my language. And I might even become a preacher of all the horrible things. You know, and, and Jerry, see, I was weighing out, should I do this or not? And he said, he said, you really don't have to give up anything. And I went, What? I don't have to give up anything? Well, maybe one thing. So I pulled out my pen and I was going to write, what's the one thing I got to give up? Uh, yourself. I said, myself? Yeah, those other things are minor points. Don't even worry about them. They don't even enter into the equation. It's you. It's you. Okay, what am I going to do if I receive Christ? What are people going to think about me? Well, I want to tell you all, one, people are not thinking about you. So just forget about that. They don't care about you. They're not thinking about you. They're not going to do anything for you. And I've told some of my friends, well, you're wondering what they think. One, they're, they're a bunch of des, des, disreputable people. And they're not going to see you in the hospital they're not coming to your funeral. They're not paying for your kid's education. They don't care about you, but you're trying to please those guys? Huh. You will let those people keep you out of heaven? You better rethink that one. Well, I had all my future plans. I was going here. I was getting a law degree, and I was going to be a politician and governor and be rich by the time I was 35. But if I receive Jesus, I read some of it. That's going to change, right? Ooh. You know what you ought to say to those people? He's got something better than you ever thought of. Don't miss it. 
Well, you say, Pastor, I don't share my testimony much. Well, why don't you? I'll give you several reasons why you don't. One, people don't know what to say. How many would say that's you? Hold your hand up. You don't know what to say. Okay. And frankly, we're a little afraid. I might get rejected. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the what? Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone. I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and say, by the way, I was ashamed of you. I don't want to do that. Or they think their story's not dramatic enough. <clears throat> well, I don't want to put guilt on anybody today. I'd like to inspire you to believe that your story is important. And it's needed. People need to hear what God has done in your life. Well, maybe I'll get pushed back. People will argue or criticize me, or I might even get rejected. Here's a question. Did Jesus get rejected? Would that be a yes or no? Yes. Will you get rejected if you become somebody that shares your story? Yes, you probably will, but it's okay because it's worth it a hundred times over. I do not want fear to shut me up when there's so much need. I do not want the devil to win because he intimidated and bluffed me into being silent, which meant people will die and go to hell without Christ. And I had some responsibility in that because I was cowardly. I can't go there. I need to buck up. I need to be better. I need to pull the trigger, push the envelope. Here's another reason. If you're not sure if you're really saved, well, I hope I go to heaven or I want to go to heaven or I wish I go to heaven. No, you should know because you received Jesus. You die today, you're going to heaven. If you're unsure, you're not going to tell anybody. Because you're worried about yourself. Stop worrying about yourself. Oh, the next one. Well, I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm disobeying him. Well, get right with God. Because if you're not right, you're not going to tell anybody. Now, are we here so far? Are you okay? Okay, still here. I haven't got any pushback. Thank you for not rejecting your pastor. Thank you. <laughs> so you will get some pushback because you share your story, and I think that's good. I don't think it's bad. Why is pushback good? For a couple of reasons. One, it means they are listening and they are processing. I would rather them get frustrated with me and tell me than ignore me. And sometimes you have to let people process. As a brand new Christian, I thought I had to push them and ask them and beg them and threaten them and do whatever I could to get them to receive Christ. I don't do that anymore. Pushing people does not work. Trying to rush people does not work. They have to think things through and you have to give them space to do it. It's like... A woman who is pregnant, you can't rush the pregnancy. The child will come at the right time. Another reason I think pushback is good, it shows something. The Holy Spirit is at work. They're getting pressure. And Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts the world. Everybody you ever meet is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What is wrong? They know that. What is right, they know that. And they know there is a judgment day. They know that. 
some tips. Another hard verse. I got to share it. Sorry. Sorry. Say it with me, please. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. That's pretty tough. Not in your notes. This is how people come to Christ. By somebody sharing their story first. All over the world. All over the world. So, how do I get started? Simple suggestions. Write your faith story out. Get a piece of pad. Do it on your phone. Write your story out. This person came into my life. This person helped me. I read this. I watched this on TV. You write that thing out. If you don't write it out, you won't have anything kind of organized to fall back on. Plus, writing it will cause you to remember how good God was to you and how you owe other people for helping you when you were in a bad, bad spot. Keep it short. Everyone say short. But make it descriptive. Uh, How long? I can do mine in 30 seconds or five minutes. Keep it short. Please do not make your story boring. If your story is boring to you, guess what? It's boring to everybody else. So don't make your story boring. Please do not exaggerate, but paint it with color. Paint it with emotions. Take them back to that night. Share that story because it's the most important thing that ever happened in your life. Your testimony should include three things. One, What your life was like before Christ. Just one thing. Uh, I was addict. I was angry. I was depressed. I had no purpose, whatever that is. How you receive Christ. Those guys talked to me in the street. Changed my life. And then one positive change since. Now I've had purpose all these years. It gets me excited every day that I get up. Those three things. B, ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage and opportunities. If you ask him to give you opportunities, he will. He will. The more you share it, the more comfortable you will become. You look at the book of Acts, it seems like on about every other page, Paul is telling his testimony. And it seems like he could fall out of his bed and tell his testimony. Oh, by the way, I was on my way to Damascus to persecute the church, and I had this murder in my heart, and I was a big guy in the Jewish faith, and a blinding light hit me. Boom! I was on my back. I was paralyzed. I couldn't see, and a voice came from heaven saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, well, Lord, who are you? I'm Jesus you're persecuting. He told that over and over and over. Wake up in the middle of the night. Is this Paul? Yeah, I was on my way to Damascus and I was, you know, I was going to persecute the church and blinding light hit me and I heard this verse. So So it's your fish hook. Everyone's a fish hook. So if I'm casting a line but developing a friendship, I ask them their story. They tell me their story. And then if I get a chance, I will share my story and I will include God, faith, Jesus. And if it catches, I can share the gospel. I can take the next step, but I never take the next step if I get a red light. Don't do that. I stop. Take evangelism explosion training. We've done this for years It'll teach you to win souls. It'll give you skills. It'll give you confidence. 
You can't take this training anywhere else within like 150 or 200 miles. You can't get it at Asbury Seminary. And we give it to you for free so you can become a soul winner. We start every February on Thursday night, and we'll start again in September. We'd love to have you join us. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the true evangelist, not you or me. I'm just the bucket carrying the living water. That's all I am. He's the one that opens hearts. But here's another thing you and I are. We, we sow seeds. Four kind of soils. We sow seeds every day by loving people and talking to them and befriending them. Always be gentle and kind. Never be rough with anybody. Don't try to pick the peach, the fruit, before it's ready. You'll bruise it. We initiate. Everyone say initiate. We start conversations. Elevator, start a conversation. Beautiful day. I don't know. I'm in an elevator. Can't tell. Go to the hospital. Do you have family here? How long have you lived here? What you do for a living? Beautiful dog. Start conversations. We share. We invite. I don't preach. I don't twist arms. A guy who I loved for 20 years, I went to his house. We were friends. He had cancer. And uh, shared my story. I shared the gospel with him. We got to the very end. I said, does this make sense? And he leaned over. He was a big, big boy. And he stuck his finger at my face and said, I told you, Steve Pearson, that you are not going to push me or anybody else. You know, I'm kind of crazy. I said, I put my finger. I told you. Does that sound like a preacher? I told you. I would never push you, but I will invite you and love you, and I will tell you the truth. He said, "That's we're fine then. He said, when I'm ready, you'll be the first one I call. We talked three months ago, and he made his decision. And then, <clears throat> now he's in heaven. He's with the Lord now. But I didn't push him, but I invited him, and I loved him. And I shared with him. I'll tell you this too. Not too long ago, I was in a place and I was ministering, loving some folks. And as I got ready to walk, there was a fellow sitting by himself and my heart went out to him. I just, when I say that, I meant I felt like I should initiate. So I went over and said, how you doing? Do you have a family need? And told me about a need in the family. And I said, well, I'm from a local church, and we love to pray for people. Could I pray for your dad? And he said, sure. And uh, so I, I just sat down with him. And here's, here's a question. You ought to write this down on your outline. I always ask this. What's your church background? And they always talk. I'm a Satanist. I'm a Buddhist. Uh, my parents were missionaries. I love Jesus. I hate God. They'll, they'll tell you. It just comes out. It, they never not talk. So he told me, he said, well, I don't believe there is a God. I said, really? Yeah. I said, well, maybe I'm more agnostic than atheistic. He said, I'm a science person. I believe in science. I said, well, the, the scripture and science go together. They don't contradict each other. So we were just having a great talk. And, uh, so he told me he didn't believe there was an afterlife. And I, I love this guy. I wish he would watch this. And uh, I said, well, I got a question. If there was an afterlife in a real place called heaven, you just told me you'd die and your bones would rot in the dirt, right? So if there was an afterlife, would that be a good thing? He said, I guess it would be. Well, I said, if there was, would you want to go there? He said, I think I would. I said, well, makes sense. It makes sense. 
And he told me he was hurt by Christians. How many have been hurt by Christians? I've been hurt by Christians, and I've probably even hurt some folks. I said, I understand. It happens. And then I said with him, I, didn't want, I felt like the Lord didn't want me to go any further, but I just said, can I pray for your dad, and can I pray for you before I leave? And so a friend and I, I asked, this is crazy. I asked this stranger, could I hold your hand and pray for you? And he did this. So the three of us held hands, and I prayed for his dad, and I prayed for my new friend. I said, you ask the Lord to reveal himself, because that's how I became a follower. I asked him. And then 90 days later, I was in. So start talking to him. He will answer your prayer. And just, worship team, would you guys come up? Just make sure you understand, this is the greatest story of all time. It's about the greatest person. You don't have to be ashamed. And it's about the greatest opportunity, being forgiven, being adopted, going to heaven. Who doesn't want that? So don't be apologetic. Hold your head high, smile. If they say no, just say, well, that's great. I'll always be your friend. Here's my phone number if I can help you because it's the Lord anyway. It's not about you. It's the Lord. For two years... As a new Christian, I prayed, and I said, Lord, my spiritual mentor is a soul winner. He was 26. Make me a soul winner. Teach me to share the gospel. Teach me to love people. Teach me to be able to talk to anybody, anytime. And at the end of about two years, that prayer was answered. Why don't you ask him to do that in your life? You'll do it your way, do it your style with your personality. But people need to hear about what you have. Let's, you have the Lord's table with you, everybody. Bring that out. And let's pray. Because the Lord's table is not about some religious thing. It's about saying, I'm all in again. Take the bread in your hand. Hold it between your fingers. Lord, I thank you for the brokenness of your son's body so we could find healing and we could love others that are broken. Take and eat. And likewise, take the cup and open it. And Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Take and drink in Jesus' name. Now, during our last time, the altar is open. If you'd like to do business with the Lord, if you'd like to ask him to make you a soul winner, there's people that will pray for you. But let's worship him with all of our hearts during this final time. Sure and 
Praise the Lord, praise the 
You know, it's always about taking the next step. And if you've not received Christ, if you've been away from him, take the next step and come back. And just pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of running. Come into my heart, my life, and be my master, my Lord, my King, because I give you everything today. Be my Savior. Be my boss today. And I will serve you as you give me strength all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. If you made that decision, see one of us down here. Have a great day. Serve the Lord well. Pick up your children. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take the next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can be praying for you. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope to see you next week.